welcome to Just Dads Reading Books, a podcast about judging your kids for what they read. This is produced by Matt Martins and EJ Sanders. Music by Russian Baths. Everybody, I'm here with my friend EJ. And I'm here with my friend Matt. I'm so excited, EJ. We are over the hump of a series of unfortunate events. We are in book nine, and I gotta tell you, book nine, The Carnivorous Carnival, delightfully surprised me, and I didn't even have low expectations. Now, this one is, uh, this one I remember being good. I, I told you, I said, yeah, I think yeah, I said yeah. as I listened, I listened back to the Vile Village episode today just because it came out yesterday, and I <laughs> thought it would be good to do a little QA like I always do. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, in that episode, I talk about how the books basically get progressively better outside right. of like one misstep. I, and, and again, we don't know if it's going to be a misstep or not. We don't actually know, but I just remember it being a misstep uh, in the Grim Grotto. But yeah, the yeah this this book this book perfectly encapsulates. I, I think Lemmy Snicket finally hits his groove here. Yeah, like, just really, you can tell that he is he is firing on all cylinders. And I feel like you're going to really love the Slippery Slope if you love this. Yeah, one. I've started the Slippery Slope already by the time we're recording this, and it's mm-hmm. already also great. But Carnivorous yeah. Carnival definitely feels like where the books become about something, you know? Yeah. We've been teasing the mystery in all the ones before this. And Hostel Hospital definitely has this quality. But Hostel Hospital is also quite obsessed with its setting uh, yeah. and, and sort of the antics in there. And you would think the carnival would be like the weirdest setting of all. Yeah. But we are in the clutches of Olaf's theater troupe. In the belly of the beast. We are, me, like, <laughs> something about the vibe of this one yeah. is so perfectly, like, what series of unfortunate events should be. Which is, like, right. this carnival doesn't make any sense. Like, it's in this really weird place. Nobody goes to it. They're, they're so rude about things. I mean, everything right. to me is encapsulated in the... Uh, is his name Kevin? Kevin. The, <laughs> so there's the ambidextrous person. The ambidextrous freak. He's, a, <laughs> he's a, in the in the room of freaks. There's one guy who's yeah. like, uh, most of my hands work equally. I I yeah. can use my right hand as much as my left hand, and like that is such a good summation of when the absurdity of series of unfortunate events is just funny and is like yes okay i'm in on the joke i get it this is this is ridiculous and i feel like this whole book has that quality because it's at the carnival like i almost wish more of the books were like in as ridiculous of a place as this yeah i don't know what else you could i mean there there's surely some other ridiculous spots maybe like a theme park or something right. like something just kind of outlandish mm-hmm. where and this is kind of has some theme park elements there's a roller coaster involved in there this is. one which yeah. is kind of weird but um, either way, the carnival is just like, like you said, it's just such a, it's such an eclectic setting. There's yeah. a lot of room to play, um, with a lot of different things. They have the house of freaks. They have, mm-hmm. uh, you know, all these various this attractions. Psychics but, tent. <laughs> mm-hmm, yeah. There's, there's a lot of things going on around this setting. And I think a setting similar to this that would just kind of provide us more room to play is, is always good for books that are kind of morose, right? right. Like. Right. You know, mostly morose in, in theme. And uh, the moroseness doesn't really go away in this one. 
However, it, it is it is reframed almost as comedy, right? Yeah, like right. It, we're almost not attached enough to some of the characters that pass on in this in this book. Yeah. That it's like you're kinda like you kind of feel like it's absurd everything right. that's going on. It hits dark comedy more than the previous books. It really had. does. It becomes a dark comedy. And I think Hostile Hospital set that up because it also was a bit mm-hmm. in that way. But this one really, really is. Uh, the the other thing I really love about this book is it might have one of my favorite uh, like third party characters in it, which is this this psychic woman mm-hmm. who you start the book and you learn that Olaf comes to this psychic all the time. And if anything, potentially this psychic is how Olaf keeps finding the Baudelaire kids. Uh, it, every yeah. time he comes here, that the, the psychic is able to tell uh, Olaf where they are. And yeah. it's really teasing the idea of is this woman a psychic or not? And and there's like a lot of stuff going on in how things behave when she's doing her psychic stuff. You know, the, the lighting shifts and all these things and the way her crystal ball acts. And uh, I mean, you know me, we talked about this recently with like Scooby-Doo related stuff. But I love, right. I just love a unmasking the person who's pulling the wool over your eye. Like the, it just getting to that we reveal over the course of the book that this woman is a fraud which means yeah. also some of the other predictions in this book that she has been making are all either lies or based on uh you know speculation materials right. and i just really love that element of it being like a core thing of this book is really steeped in mystery at all levels yes yeah, this this book plays more like a detective novel, whereas Hostile Hospital plays a lot more like a police procedural. Right? <laughs> like, it, you know what I'm saying, yeah. right? Like, it's like much more like there's much more like paperwork going on yeah. in Hostile Hospital, and that's not as fun to read. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I still think Hostile Hospital was was better than I had remembered it, um, but it's Hostile Hospital I think is on the weaker half of the books. Yeah. Um, but this one is this one slowly found its way at least so far. I mean, it's definitely in I think my top three or four we've read so far. Definitely, and pro- maybe even higher than that. You know, it's yeah. it's been it's been a very it was a very very good read. But yeah, Madam Lulu is the character you're talking about. Madam Lulu is this eclectic individual who wears you know like all the normal psychic garb. Yeah, and uh, is just yeah we learn later on is in disguise, but. Um, I, Madam Lulu, like every other pseudo guardian s character that, you know, it's hard to not to describe her as a guardian because sure. it's just like we've been dealing with mostly adults who are guardians, but yeah. that's not really Madam Lulu's case. Uh, in Madam Lulu's case, she's just another adult that we meet, uh, but they always have a fatal flaw. Yeah. And what is Madam Lulu's fatal flaw, Matt? Do you remember? Well, her, she, she has, she kind of, I mean, if I was going to categorize one, and maybe you're thinking of something more specific, but her fatal flaw is like that she sort of has this fear of Olaf. What you learn is mm. she is a part of the same organization that mm-hmm. Olaf is a part of, that Snickets right. are a part of. Yeah. And, uh, she, her, okay, I know what you're actually getting at, and that's that her fatal flaw is that she loves to give people what they want. People and pleaser. <laughs> she's a people pleaser, even when the person to the death, is horrible. She's a people pleaser. Yeah. <laughs> to the death. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so that's that's her real fatal flaw. And I, I, it's really my only qualm with really all of the A Series of Unfortunate Events books is just like people sometimes like uh, Hector in, in Vile yeah. Village. 
has the anxiety problem or the social right. anxiety where you right. can't speak around other adults. Yeah, and that's going to be uh, the, the number one. This one is so overt about it too because literally right. she's like, I can't help but people please. I can't help but give people what they want. And they have like this very long back and forth discussion of yeah. like, well, instead of doing that, Lulu, like help us, help us escape. Don't give Olaf what he wants. Give us what we want. And she's like, okay, I will. And they're like, will you though? And she's like, mm, yeah. mm-hmm. And they're like, no, yeah. no, 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 look at me in the eyes and tell me you, and like yeah. the book really pushes the idea of yeah. like, uh, I don't think she's going to do it. <laughs> yeah. And, but and what spoiler alert, she does is the kind of crazy mm-hmm. thing. She does end up holding to her promise, at least to an extent. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, yeah. What a weird book. This one has a really awesome structure. I think is yeah. the best. I think this is one of the best structured books that Snicket hits in this series. He has this really fun thing he does with uh, his spiel about deja vu, yeah. which is very awesome. <laughs> really uh, he plays his plays on phrases are just getting better. Like uh, early on, you could tell like an ersatz elevator. He was getting a little bit of this where he shows you the word ersatz early in that book. Right. Obviously it's on the cover of the book, right? But he explains to you what ersatz means and then he does this thing where he calls back to that word yeah. to really like hammer home a point and yeah. use it in a lot of different ways so that you can feel like you're really learning yeah. how this word uh, can be manipulated in, in language. Yeah. Right. And he does the same thing with the, in the belly of the beast right. in this. Yeah. Right. You know, it's like, it's very much, he calls back to it in all the different ways that you can be in the belly of the beast, literally, figuratively, all of this stuff. I think the strength of it is essentially in the earlier books he was leaning really hard into like this book is about like a place right and it's it's about the right. guardian that is taking care of them and it's just like a little serialized thing right this is just right. a, a one time adventure and as he's wanted to make more of a thread out of everything the locales or more importantly the like struggle of the book the the mm-hmm. the main plotline of just the singular book i think is shifting to be significantly more thematic and like has a has a message to send like it's hard for me to say the earlier books have like as distinct messages because they're just about like a a really specific person but these later ones it's more about these characters with fatal flaws that you're going to watch let the kids down in in new different ways and yeah these phraseologies he's using to sort of like be the thesis statement of the whole book or whatever yeah, but what's interesting about this one, Matt, is there's it kind of contradicts itself, actually, is one of the things I wanted to talk about yeah. is the fact that at one point um, they are questioning Madame Lulu about the morality of people, I believe. Yeah. I think they're talking to Madame Lulu about that, but they're talking about whether or not the people in VFD are good or bad, yeah. and Madame Lulu has to explain to them that they're just people. Right. You know? Yeah, yeah. Like there is no, you do things on, you know, based on your needs, essentially, right. there's not really a, you know, there are obviously bad people and there are obviously good people, but there are just a much more people like Madam Lulu who right. are just trying to navigate the situation they're currently in. Right. They want the best for literally everybody. Right. Right. And so I think that that kind of opens up a new perspective on, on our characters going forward mm-hmm. um, because we're going to run into some more characters. Spoiler alert for you, Matt, we're going to run into some more characters who, are more like that yeah. uh, than we are uh, with the fatal flaws, right? right? With the, with the, Oh, this is my one trick. And yeah, I, yeah. <laughs> unfortunately I can't do anything around this one trick that right. I have. 
Um, right. You know, like that Charles in the miserable mill who's like, well, I can't talk back to the yeah, boss. Yeah. So, or, or like freaking. I will just uh, completely the, fail you. <laughs> yeah. Jerome in, Jerome in, in, in Ersatz Elevator. Yeah. Same thing. It's like, they all just have that one thing where it's like, yep, I'll just, this one thing that stops me from helping yeah. you is going to end up doing. Well, that. and they've been and, teasing this idea for a couple books, right? Because the big yeah. thing I feel like they've done across uh, Vile Village, Hostile Hospital, and this one, these, these three mm-hmm. books have a clear story to tell which is the Baudelaire's recognizing when they themselves are technically up to no good if you looked at it at just at face value they are sneaking around they are stealing they're doing these things and they recognize they're doing these things for the right reason but to your point Madame Lulu sort of says the bad people think they're doing things for the right reason. Right. I mean, at, sometimes it's cartoony, right? Because right. Olaf's reason is because he wants more money. And he's like very right. explicit about just, oh, it's because I want more money. But right. what is proven in that is like everybody's trying to just do what they believe is best. Some people just what they believe is not good. <laughs> it's bad. Yeah, it's just wrong. Right. right. So it still doesn't actually make any sense to me how Olaf plans to get a fortune out of just one of the Baudelaire's being alive. Yeah. It's Um, gotten a little cartoony at this point, hasn't it? Yeah. It's just a little, it's just so loose. It doesn't make any sense. Cause it's like, yeah, they're not just going to give you money Olaf because you own one of the children. Like (laughs) you, you've literally kidnapped somebody. Like, are you trying to hold them for ransom? I guess that's the way to do it. I, 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 I just don't understand, but like the way he keeps making it sound is like I only need one of you alive to yeah. get your money. It's like this portion of the books definitely becomes more about the mystery of the VFD and yes. the backdrop of Olaf's trying to get them has become just the like yeah I mean that's the stated goal yeah. I don't know we'll we'll see how that <laughs> comes back around. Goal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's in the quarterly meetings. Yeah. Uh, Olaf shows up every day and says yeah, we're going to steal the treasure. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, very cartoony. Yeah, he's he's such a goober. And I think I think this is just where I think Lemony Snicket, I I believe, my personal belief is that Lemony Snicket, if he had an opportunity to rewrite like the first six books, mm-hmm. I think he would. I think, yeah. he, I think he would truly, I think actually, and honestly, that would force a rewrite of all 13 of them. But a Probably. rewrite of all 13 of these books where... You know, Olaf is more of just a passing character, mm. like mm-hmm. part of maybe a larger whole, you right. know, like right. instead of just putting all of these like character traits on one person, like making yeah. it more of an intrigue book where it's like there is like this organization That's and coming. it's good and bad. Right. Like what if VFD was both a good and bad thing? Right. Yeah, right. Like, right. Yeah. That, and, that and, I mean, you say that what's hilarious is to a certain extent it kind of feels like that's what the show is like the show yeah he's I want involved the, in it yeah. and and i think it is i think there's some rewriting done in that yeah. show because you get a lot more vfd in the earlier yep, early on. episodes uh just to sort of establish that it's like yep. it's not just this creepy bad guy that wants their stuff like he is a part of an ecosystem of trouble <laughs> that these kids are steeped in right yeah it's yeah it's just so much more interesting that's such a much more interesting approach and i think it's just one of those things where the author just figured it out too late you know mm, right he he had a good idea of writing books about orphans yeah and it's just he found it's it just mid-series. kind of a shame that it that it took five books to even come up with a thread like yeah. and, and even in the fifth book it's like 
right at the end, uh, there's something bigger, yeah. <laughs> you know, and we end up here though. We end up in a good spot, I think with carnivorous carnival right. and slippery slope and all the books that come after it minus maybe one that I continue to say, but <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm really excited for the eventual grim grotto episode. Cause it's going to be ha- a real, I, yeah. it's going to be a real figuring things out moment. Something oh, else. Jesus moment. Yeah. For us. <laughs> I, something else I wanted to, to note that the books are doing a lot that I think is interesting within the structure mm-hmm. of the overall series is something I really noticed in book nine is how much he's having fun calling back to the events of earlier books. Whereas yes. the, I mean, if anything, I think that is the argument for why those early books exist kind of the way they do is very simple things. It's like, here's a slew of really, really basic adventures, adventures that the mm-hmm. kids can go on and, and lessons they can learn, right? They learn a super, super rudimentary basic lesson in each book. And then starting in about book seven, he starts being like, this is how these kids have leveled up. This is how, why they are smarter because of the things they learned from each of their locations in the first six books. I, I firmly believe, especially because on these rereads, if you remember from those earlier episodes, I didn't really read the first six books. I think you can start with Vile Village and they call back to the earlier books so much that you can even yep. glean like what these kids have been through. Like he, he makes it a persistent point of telling you all of the things these kids have had to put up with before and why their new course of action is a reaction to how right. it went last time. Yeah, very good point. Um, yeah, he, he does that a lot here in Carnivorous Carnival. They're going to make a decision at one point in this book and he calls back to basically Uncle Monty. Like, yeah. He, I mean, he calls, he'll call all the way back to, to book two, Yeah, which I think is just, it's to his credit how, how much more impactful it makes, you know, it shows the growth of our characters, right? right? They are thinking about these things as well. They're not going to make the same mistakes twice. Yeah. Uh, they're going to make different mistakes, but they're not going to make the same mistake right. over and over, which is kind of what the first few books feel like, right? right? Yeah. A lot of the first books are us making the same mistake or or somebody, uh, you know, Mr. Poe, who was a bad character, and I'm glad that he's gone, sure. uh, essentially, for the rest of the way. I mean, he But is, because he's, he's failed so many times, they've learned to right. not... They choose exactly. to, like really oh, stop trying to call him and uh, right like, be- and, and they don't trust madam lulu right like madam lulu yeah. is not an assigned guardian but they have learned to not trust people that yeah they don't trust sort you, of they're gonna maybe you're gonna be the one that would help me and in the past they would have just like jumped on that of like yes right. they're gonna help us but this time they're like are you they're gonna let us her. down can we trust you <laughs> and the boulder right. have spent seven eight books learning right. they can't trust adults basically <laughs> right well let's get into some more of the wackiness in this book uh so uh so the beginning of this book, they're they're in the trunk of, yeah. of Olaf's car. Uh, <laughs> Olaf and his troop get out of the car, and what do they decide to do, Matt? <laughs> they did, well, this book has really my difficulty with it is the spatial reasoning is really yeah. weird because they decide to get it's out of the up. trunk, like as like I feel like Olaf is around the corner, and they're like, yeah, okay, let's get yeah. out and like let's make a bunch of noise and let's like yeah. do everything. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 so odd. There's but. You, you just have to imagine a world where the car is actually kind of far away from the tent. Yeah, like, right. Yeah, so they get out of the car, and they put on disguises. Yep. Now, they don't really go... Now, Lemony Snicket doesn't really go into, like, in-depth on how Klaus and Violet... <laughs> like, I, I love put this. this I love these costumes because in Hostel Hospital, we have ridiculous costumes, too, right? Yeah. Sonny is oh, a doctor, and they're like, oh, yeah, yeah sure, the baby's a yes, doctor. And you and I the remarked, doctor, like, that's ridiculous. Course. That's, like, so absurd. Right. This one... 
again, because it's like the carnival, we lean into the absurdity yep. and it becomes okay because, yeah, the two older kids put on one big t-shirt. They, they two kids in a trench coat, except yeah. for instead, it's even more absurd than that because they are a two-headed person because right. they are going to pose as quote-unquote freaks in this house of freaks uh, uh, thing. And, and Beverly yeah, and Elliot. Everybody buys it. Everybody's into, oh, yeah, yeah, you're a two-headed yeah. two person. And we love to watch you eat corn uh, together because <laughs> you can't, one of you's trying to hold one side of the piece of corn right. and the other's trying to hold the other side and you can't do it. And Sunny just like puts on a big beard that covers her whole yep. body and she's a, a freaky little wolf baby named Chaba. Little wolf baby, <laughs> half wolf, half baby. Let's go. <laughs> they go yeah, so think... far to explain that it is a, a a woman and a wolf like had this child. Carnivore's Car Carnival does a really good job and this is, this is the biggest credit I can give any of the books, not just to this point, but maybe in the entire series. It does such a good job of justifying its universe. Yeah. And that's something we don't talk enough about on this show um, because it's, you know, we, we talk about just like things happening, but it's like some, sometimes you do need to justify your universe right. and a series of unfortunate events does not do uh, an incredible job of that for, a while. I would say eight books, yeah, you right, know? Right. Uh, and what's cool is about, about carnivorous carnival is is that it does such a good job of justifying the universe. It makes every single one of the eight books before it justifiable. Right. You, That's it, incredible. The Miserable Mill makes more sense now right. <laughs> in yes. retrospect. Hostel like, Hospital, same thing. Yeah, definitely. Right? All right. of it. All yeah, of it. And I, I think a lot of it comes down to this Ma Madame Lulu thing because the whole idea yes is she's also tricking Count Olaf and you see it's just like some basic little gadgets going on in her tent and yeah. you get to watch Olaf be tricked by her and you're just you get to like have this really like cohesive feeling of this is a world where no one's paying attention to anything like no one right. is keeping their eye on the yes. ball everyone yes. and it, it's reinforced then it reinforces the stuff in the newspaper that's been wrong mm -hmm. all the misreportings and and right. uh, all the stuff in the vile village where they can't recognize yep. like who Olaf and Omar and Snicket yep. are like they just can't tell who anybody is and apparently there's no pictures of anyone for yeah. anyone to double check like it is a trickable world and yeah this this book it's like this book needed to be book two or something, you know, maybe it's really hard to know because now, but here's the thing, Matt, it, it's, it goes back to your point about the setting. It's almost like the setting crushes exactly what it needed to do, which yeah. is it just needs to, it needs to basically put on an absurdist face yep. on this world. Right. And that's exactly what this book does. This book, there is not a turn in this book where yeah. it, you're not a single chapter in this book where you feel like, this is a practical place for yeah. anybody to live. Right. And I think that that's, I think that I know that sounds wild, but it's like, that's it is the it best work. thing yeah. that it could do, that it could have yeah. done for all of the books before it. Absolutely. Because like we said to this point, even though those books are good, they are so hokey to the point where you're just like, man, I really, I've really got to, you know, reevaluate my whole feeling of the series. Right. It feels too and convenient that, for the writer yes, to get away with all, all of the this. time. Yeah. And now you realize its convenience is just so good. Yeah. Adam Lulu is the freaking keystone of Absolutely. the series. I agree. That's insane. Yeah. What scares me about it is the idea that like the last four books are going to all be less ridiculous. Like for the for the most part, they are all quite a bit more serious. Yeah. Now I've started I started book ten and I don't want to I don't want to get ahead of what that episode will be. Yeah, but there's still some goofy 10. stuff yep. in them. But it it's 
it's never on this level before this book and it's never on this level after this book this this book is like the culmination the peak of the absurdity of this world that i think the show really nails the show from from the get-go yeah. is like this is an absurdist world neil patrick right. harris is a clown and the, and you're watching right, a clown that, yes. show and patrick warburton is a yeah. great lemony snicket yeah. obviously he just has a really awesome voice for it right. sorry jude law step aside <laughs> um my my lemony snicket is Patrick Warburton. Yeah. Well, um, my lemony snicket is Tim Curry. Turns out, <laughs> oh, your lemony snicket is Tim Curry. Yeah, I you know I just think that like you said, I, it is about to take a turn, and I don't. I I know you've only read up to the Grand Grotto, right? That's right. Yep. Yeah. So, yeah, you're you don't really know what's going to happen in no. the last two books, but I I would say that you are well justified in in your belief of where it's going. Yeah. Which is that. Yeah, Slippery Slope is much more uh, a mystery novel. Um, Grim Grotto is much more... I, I don't even know how to describe Grim Grotto. Um, <laughs> a bottle just, episode, literally. <laughs> it is a bottle episode, yeah, but it, it, only they couldn't get the writers of Breaking Bad, unfortunately, because <laughs> then they would have made it about a fly, and that would uh-huh. be cool. Um, but instead, it's about nothing, and everybody's sad, so that's cool. Um, but then, yeah, Penultimate Peril and the End are very... They just... The places they go, man, like yeah. the places this Well, even the goes. names of them, that's the whole thing, right? Is that mm-hmm. those last two, I, I've never gotten to them and I can't know what they're about because the, oh, yeah. it, with every other book, it tells you what it's about in it. Yeah. Academy, reptile room, uh, you yeah. know, the, the elevator, the village, like, you know what you're going, getting into. Yeah. Even, you know, Slippery Slope is a mountain. Grotto is yeah. underwater. But those last two, they are the biggest mysteries to me and I'm, I'm pretty excited for them, but we're, st- we're still a ways away. We are a ways away. A couple other things I want to talk about as we're wrapping up this episode here. Um, uh, what did you? How did you feel about the mob scene? Um, that a, another time when look at how amazingly this book good. builds off of yes. the two before it. So the the yep. idea of this book, the reason it's called the Carnivorous Carnival, is the yep. the big. Uh, thing to stop is Olaf gets a hold of a bunch of lions and the lions are going to eat somebody and it's it's it is as plain as day as that uh Daniel Handler Lemony Snicket the the writer is clearly trying to say something about media consumption in across a few of these books Vile Village Hostile Hospital and Carnivorous Carnival all have scenes with a bunch of people watching a grotesque act of violence right in front of them right uh, in Vile Village, it's going to be like a literal hanging. Uh, yep. And in Hostel Hospital, it is the the it's a, a medical room. performance. So it's yeah. supposed to it, they're not intending for it to be watch someone get killed. That one, you almost give the crowd a break. But in both instances, yep. the kids have different approaches to how they mess with the crowd. Right. One right. of them, the first one they learn about. Uh, mob mentality and they know to just shout things out and the mob will kind of yep. take it and run with it and in hostile hospital they learn about like stalling for time basically like they, everyone's yeah. watching them and if they can just hold out long enough someone will come along right. and help them and they get to they are not taught a lesson in this book of like how to deal with those things they just get to combine the two yep. and try to see if they can get out of it and it's like yep. You you really what a setup it, yeah what a setup because you really do need to have read the two books before and like I was saying earlier I don't feel like you need to read the first six books because they're just calling back to like yeah. the events of things but in this one it's like no this is literally like the point of what they were taught to do or whatever and I just think it's I I love the like climax of this book because it really is a culmination of like all of the adventures they've been on before this and then yeah. we get to the cliffhanger. 
which yeah we have a been it's been all hits all bangers for the past few books of how the books end and entice you into reading the next one right for the first six books you get an ending that's like well that didn't work oh well mr poe will get you in, an, in a new place next time and we'll see how mm-hmm. it goes or whatever um they sort of start cleaning things up with like things are happening to the quagmires like that's that's like the mystery going into the next book but since my right. village the Baldurlairs are in increasingly uh difficult predicaments uh yeah. hostile hospital they're trapped in the trunk and you're like how can it get worse than this well turns yeah. out one of them can be trapped in the car knowingly with olaf and the other two can be careening down the side of a mountain <laughs> in like a trolley <laughs> i think yeah i think that i i think that the the idea is incredible uh, some of the executions on these endings are kind of wild. Yeah. They just kind of wrap up super they really, quick. He, he speeds the last chapter up a lot. They always, they, yeah, like in this one, it's just like, haha, I knew you were the Baudelaire's all along. Yeah. Very super villainy. And just like, a, you know, the freaks, one of the things we need to know is that uh, the bald man uh, has passed, has perished, uh, along with Madame Lulu in this book. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you haven't read it, um, you should read it, but. That's what happens in this one. So he's down to like three henchmen. Yeah. Uh, because I think the uh, person with no gender um, is hasn't like, been around it, for a while. Hasn't been around like. in a while. Or maybe just yeah. Daniel Handel got to the point where he was I like, I'm going to talk about that character less. I don't remember them ever dying, but they I thought just, they died they, in a hostile hospital. Out. They kind of just like weren't in the car. I don't think maybe yeah. they did. I don't know. But either way, that character is no longer around really. It's really just the two pale faced woman, women and, and the, the hook for hands guys. And then, uh, basically, Esme has convinced the other freaks to yep. join. Uh, so now they have an ambidextrous man, uh, <laughs> a hunchback, and uh, contortionist. And a contortionist, yeah. So, so yeah. So they they restocked on on weirdos. Yeah. Um, and which I weirdos. love this. I love this thing too because this is our first set of three carryover villains that we've gotten mm-hmm. in a very very long time. I think. I mean, Esme was a carryover villain, but it yeah, just, and the, the hook handed guys in every basically every book. Right. What, what I mean is, like we we learn we learn about his troop in the first one, and then Olaf's yeah. team is set for a really long time until basically yeah, Esme, yeah. and Esme is just a light addition. But this one is like we meet a bunch of characters and watch them turn bad, and it yeah, reinforces bad, the narratives of these books. Right. It reinforces they. Mm-hmm think they're doing kind of the right thing i mean they're stupid adults like every other adult in this thing but they are in it for getting out of this carnival trying to do something yeah, else like they're, they're, they're trying to get a good job so this is what they yeah. could find yeah i mean well not well it found them right it's yeah. like they are offered an opportunity that they can't pass up because right. they've been doing this this weird stuff for years now kevin doesn't make any sense sure um but <laughs> But that's but, the point. But that's the point of Kevin, right? <laughs> Kevin's a comedic relief kind of person, right? So Kevin's hilarious. Uh, but yeah, even though they are all very nice to the Baudelaire's the entire time they're there, yeah, uh, they still end up turning on them because it's like, no, we're Count Olaf's henchmen. Like, yeah, that's what we do now. Like, we right. cut you loose and send you careening down a hill. So, yeah, yeah what a what a stellar entry. I think, yeah, um, yeah, it, it, this one. This one, I think, uh, whenever I first read it a long time ago, I remember really liking it, but I didn't realize how much, uh, how important this book is to yeah. the entire series. I think right. maybe the most important, most influential book on the series in my mind. And I, I really don't, I love Slippery Slope. This is one that is in my top three before we started reading. Right. So this one is like one I'm ex- have high expectations for. Yeah, I do too, um, actually. And, and I'm, I'm looking, I mean, it definitely has the best, I can't see how they can top 
the going into art. the next one. Well, the cover art is great, but the the like what is happening at the end of book nine and going into book ten, it's yeah. like uh, we have an immediate problem to solve in the, at yeah. the start of the next book. Like not well, and even the, more so than this one. This one is like, oh, you gotta figure out what to do about this car situation, but you can probably hang out in the trunk for a while. And the next one is Matt, like, they solves the Sunny Baudelaire problem. That's very true. Bit, they pulled their own. They saying? split the party, is what they exactly. did. Exactly. <laughs> and and see, but it, you know what was cool though? What I loved about nine is the fact that they solved the Sunny Baudelaire problem in a great way like mm-hmm. in a really awesome way like really giving Sonny something to do yeah that was that was uh i felt impactful yeah um, we get to see Sonny grow as a character a lot more uh but yeah i think that slippery slope one of its biggest things is that Sonny's really not around much yeah. for a large point full of chapters full, full exactly so we're book. back to the a two Baudelaire situation, which is the best situations you can put right. these books in because they just are way more interesting when two of them have to solve how to get the third one back. Yeah, you know? right, right. So. Well, I, I'm very stoked. Uh, next week is hopefully an episode about <laughs> Ursula K. Le Guin's Wizard of yeah. Earthsea. If Matt could just finish the darn thing, uh, I'm so, trying right, to burn through time. it. And uh, I'll spoiler a little bit of next week's episode. I think it's going to be one of the first properly contentious <laughs> episodes of, yeah. uh, of this because uh, I know that I'm loving it and EJ has indicated otherwise <laughs> so far. Yeah, yeah we'll see. <laughs> uh, you'll just have to tune in next week and find out. Love you. <laughs>